So Hello, Fold. <laughs> that was Flock. Flock. See, I'm going to mess this no, up. No, the Fold. The Fold is right. The Fold is right. That works. This is Among Wolves Ladies Edition. <laughs> this, is, this is my, all my, all my ladies are here instead of my Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. What up, Fold? So this is um, uh, our latest episode here. It's a round two of Coffee and Creed. If you guys remember, last month we released an episode with Bishop Gordon giving a talk on prayer and discernment. Uh, and this one was a talk on evangelization given by Mark Sayre. If you never heard Mark Sayre speak, he's fantastic. And so you're going to in for a real treat here. I recorded a um, an introduction that, that evening with uh, a couple of the girls that are helping out on the podcast. We have my wife, GV. We have Neil's wife, Lisa. And we have Elisa, a friend of ours, and uh, no Neil this time around. And so, but that, uh, for whatever reason, the audio on that introduction that I originally recorded was no good. So I'm record, re-recording an introduction here uh, to, to the talk, which is on evangelization by Mark Sayre. Uh, and there is no Neil because he's going to be there because I guess somebody's got to watch the children. Uh, I've told them just to get a homeless person to do it. But they didn't listen to me. So uh, we have no Neil on this episode. Uh, but afterwards, there's a bunch of commentary from the girls, and it's fantastic. And there's also a little message for all Team Neil fans. You guys can listen to that at the very end of the show. And, um, yeah, God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging around, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Um, so Mark is, is like, honestly, he is a uh, just a big hero to me in the faith. He is somebody who I've just um, grown so much from. Uh, he's challenged me to take my game up in ministry time up and time up. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, just time and time again, he's challenged me to grow in my ministry, and he has just a plethora of things to offer us today. Um, so we're definitely blessed to have him here to speak to us on evangelizing, to spread the gospel, to share it. Um, and we're going to go ahead and pray. But before we do that, Father Daniel, can I actually ask you to uh, to pray over Mark and pray for the night? Would you mind doing that? Very cool. Father Daniel, everyone, give it up. Give it up. You're going to help, right? Pray. Almighty and gracious God, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon Mark as he speaks to us, inspiring us to spread the good news, to share your word, to share our lives in Christ. Help him at this time take away any anxiety he may have so that he can truly speak from his heart knowing that he is among friends of Christ. As you guide him and inspire him and continue to bless him, help him to know always that you are with him. We ask these blessings in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mark Sayre. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you all so much for coming out. Uh, as Hector had mentioned, I'll be talking about uh, evangelization, evangelizing the culture in these tumultuous times. Um, really just going to share some stories with you of what I have come to believe are some effective ways of being able to share the love and the friendship that you have with Jesus Christ with other people. Evangelization is essentially that, right? Bringing other people closer to Christ, um, introducing people to Christ, and bringing them to a friendship with Christ. So for myself, I initially um, invited Christ into my life and began this loving relationship and friendship with Christ when I was 19 years old. So was that like five years ago, something like that? It was actually 20 years ago, tomorrow. Tomorrow's my birthday, August 19th. So 20 years ago, tomorrow, um, I invited Christ into my life. And I was born and raised here in Las Vegas, and I was probably like many of you, a cradle Catholic, right? I was baptized as an infant. I went to parochial school. I went to uh, St. Francis de Sales. Anyone from St. Francis de Sales? No? <laughs> I also went to Our Lady of Las Vegas, fifth through eighth grade. Anyone from Our Lady? Okay, there you go. So uh, I didn't go to Bishop Gorman High School. I then entered the public school district. But I got confirmed. 
uh, or I received, you know, the Eucharist, had went to confession like once every two years, and then, and then got confirmed. So I grew up in the church because my mother is Filipino, I'm half Filipino, and my father is Irish, which is interesting, essentially means that my dad was in the military, so <laughs> it's true, it's, it's not a lie, <laughs> they met in Saigon. Anyway, so my dad is this, you know, tall, red-faced Irish man. My mom is this, you know, four-foot-nothing Filipino woman. And their, cat, their Catholic faith is what we grew up with in the house. But I never understood it. I never really embraced it. I never made it my own. And so I never really lived it. You know, I didn't have a friendship or a relationship with Christ. And fast forward um, to my 19-year-old self when I invited Christ into my life and began that friendship. I was in Steubenville, Ohio. And uh, if you're familiar with Steubenville, Ohio, you'll know also that there's a university there called Franciscan University. But I didn't go to Steubenville, Ohio to attend Franciscan University. So you might be wondering, who the heck goes to Steubenville, Ohio then if you're not going to Franciscan University? So my sister went to Franciscan University and she had met her husband there as so many Franciscan graduates do, right? They, they meet their spouses. Um, and she met her husband there, and they got married, and he was working in Pittsburgh, so they just lived in Steubenville. So I ended up in Steubenville because I needed to escape Las Vegas. I needed to escape the mess that I had made of my life out here. And it was, when I say a mess, I don't, I don't mean like an average mess. Like it was, it was a mess, and I needed to run away from it. I needed to escape it because it was a, I was in a pretty dark place in life. I had run away from home as a teenager. I stole my parents, one of my parents' cars at night and went and lived with my girlfriend for a while. And I was pursuing music, but dabbling in drugs and alcohol and, you know, you know getting addicted to a lot of different things. And it just got to a point where I was, I was headed down such a spiral that, you know, rock bottom was inevitable. And by the time I looked up with my back on the ground, literally in another state, wondering where the heck I was, I knew leave or die, right? Like, if you don't go now death is next. And so where do you go? Well, my sister's like, you know, this really holy woman out here in Steubenville, like maybe she'll take me in for a little bit. And so I went out to Steubenville just to stay with her for a while. And um, she took me in. Things were going, I wouldn't say well. Uh, It was really difficult. It was hard because I had left everything behind. I had a band. We were doing hip hop music and we had, you know, we had gigs and performances coming up. I didn't even tell anybody I was leaving. I was just gone. And then I was out there and I probably packed my bags like every night thinking like, I can't do this, you know, going through the darkness and the depression and the withdrawals and the need for everything that I thought I needed in order to be happy. And I think that's what addiction is, right? Essentially, like we're all longing and yearning for for meaning and purpose to find value in our lives. Um, And, you know, at least for me, it was just like I was looking in all the wrong places. And so you find things that give you like little glimpses of like moments of, you know, some kind of fleeting happiness and you forget about the emptiness and the darkness that you're experiencing. And so what's, what's the answer? Because the thing is like you find that moment of like forgetting it, but sobriety comes back and so does the darkness, so does the emptiness. And so what do you say to yourself? Well, let me go do that again. Because when I did that, I didn't feel like this. And so you go back to it, you know, over and over and over again until eventually you can convince yourself that this is what you need in order to be happy. And that's what I was experiencing when I had escaped, uprooted myself from the situation I was in and planted myself in a whole new one. It was like, I need that stuff, right? I need those things that, I, that, that help me for forget like how empty I feel inside. And so my sister, having graduated from Franciscan University, knew the experience of being there, right? And so she called up a mom that she knew who had a son that was attending Franciscan University. And she said to him, hey, his name was Chris. He was like, hey, can you just, can you just reach out to my brother and just, you know, try to befriend him and he just needs somebody, right? She was like, I'm his sister. I can't really do it. And so long story short, I met this group of guys. Um, they belong to this household at Franciscan University called the Knights, of, the Knights of the Holy Queen. And it was four guys in particular who kind of like took me under their wing. And I had never had an experience of hanging out with a group of guys like this. They were different. They were just different, right? Like 
They weren't using foul language all the time. They weren't, if they were having a beer, they weren't having it in excess. You know what I mean? Like they were, they were very cautious of exercising temperance, but they were having fun all at the same time. And there was this kind of like pervasive joy that I experienced in their presence. Like what the heck do you guys have that I don't have? And, and how do I get that? Like, that's what I want. You know, there was this sense of like peace and fulfillment just this this crazy joy. And I knew that they went to this university where my sister and all the other Jesus freaks went, right? But like, they weren't like pushing God on me either. They kind of just met me where I was at. What I found them doing was just actually just asking me a lot of questions about myself, um, showing genuine interest in me and my struggles, and just like really being present to my situation, And they weren't trying to, like, take me anywhere with regards to the church or doing anything. They were just trying to, like, really actually just love me right where I was at. And for me, that was just, like, it helped me to understand that there were people that I could trust. And eventually, you know, being able to trust them and seeing the joy and the fulfillment and the the peace that they had, it led me to want to know what they knew and that was Christ. And so eventually, you know, they were like, you know, I see your, you know, I see your suffering. And there's, you know, there's an answer for that. Why don't you come to mass with me one day? Or why, why don't you, sorry, I get a little choked thinking about like the past, right? Like, why don't you come to adoration with me one day? And um, long story short, I never left. You know, I ended up staying there for four years. I got into Franciscan University. I got, like, I don't know how I got in. That was a miracle in and of itself. Because, like, it's a pretty, like, prestigious Catholic university. And I had, like, a terrible GPA. I never took an SAT or an ACT. Like, I was not college material. But they let me in because I was, like, staying off campus with my sister. And, like, okay, he can't do much harm, right? He's just going to take, like, one class. And so I, I just... I started, I wanted, I wanted answers, right? I wanted truth. I wanted, I wanted fulfillment. I wanted meaning. I wanted peace. And I had just been looking in all the wrong places. And when I started attending Franciscan University and surrounding myself amongst these people, particularly these gentlemen who evangelized me in a way that I didn't think evangelization was possible, right? I thought evangelization was like, you know, you're quoting scripture verses all the time and, and casting corrections upon all of the immoral behavior that you're involved in because I was a mess. And these guys knew I was a mess. Like I was, I was in bad shape, but they never like judged me. You know, they never really called me out. They just didn't participate in the activities that I wanted to participate in. And they, sh- they just by their example, they just showed me something different. So I want you to be attentive to that process because I'm going to come back to that process with regards to how I think evangelization is is most effective. So four years, I get stuck. I study theology. Uh, I ended up, I ended up with three degrees from Franciscan University in theology, education, and English literature. And then 2006, I'm getting ready to graduate. And um, I I met the... uh, I met the girl that would later become my wife. I didn't actually meet her in 2006. I actually met her in 2004 because she was my girlfriend's roommate. <laughs> and you, you can, yeah, you can imagine how that went over. It's a long story, but God was in the situation, right? So we'll just fast forward from there. Um, so it's, two, it's 2006, and... You know, there was no reason for her and I to, like, fall in love with each other outside of the context of the friendship of this group of friends that we had. Because at the time, I was actually discerning the priesthood, and I had told the bishop of Montego Bay in Jamaica, because I hadn't been back to Vegas but to maybe visit for a few days for, like, the last four years. I spent every break just developing this friendship with Christ and just loving everything that he was doing in me, with me, through me, for me. And so, like, I spent every break just doing missionary work, traveling the world. And um, so I met, this, uh, I met this girl earlier. And then <laughs> fast forward 2006, like, we're hanging out in, in this group of friends, right? 
And she's super respectful of, like, my discernment of the priesthood. She wasn't trying to flirt. There was none of that going on. Like, there was, there was no alone time, just a group of friends. But I started to fall, like, just head over heels in love with her, like, just because of who she was, right? Like, I was just madly in love with this woman. And there was, we never went out on a date. We never spent, like, any alone time. I would just see her, and I would just be like, she is the one, right? Like, she's the one. And so I went to my spiritual director, and I was like, Father, like, I, I don't know what to do, man. Like, I'm supposed to be, like, discerning the priesthood, but, like, I'm actually in love with this girl. And I would, I would go to adoration, and I would just, like, cry to God, like, why? Do you want me to be your priest? Like, why are you letting me have these emotions, man? Like, I'm not supposed to fall in love with women if I'm going to be a priest. And so, so my spiritual director, Father Tony Thurston, he was like, you know, Mark, why don't you just tell her how you feel? And maybe she's going to be like, well, that's great, but I don't feel the same way, so go about your discernment, right? Or maybe she's going to be like, you know what, I love you too, and you guys are supposed to get married. Like, don't complicate the situation. You know, don't complicate God's will for your life. If he's showing you something, explore it, right? And so, awkwardly, I, we were hanging out, like, at our house, group of friends. I pulled her aside, and I was like, oh, I got to tell you something. And she was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, I love you. <laughs> She's like, oh, Mark, I love you too. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> like, I want to marry you. <laughs> and so, you know, she was taken aback by it, but she reciprocated. She was like, you know, I've, I've been trying to just respect the boundaries that exist between us because of your discernment, but I've been in love with you for, for a, a long time. <laughs> it was just like, let's go. <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're getting married. Let's go. <laughs> and so, like, it was like a little, like, summer of love, right? And then I was supposed to go to Montego Bay, Jamaica, and um, just do some missionary work under the bishop over there. And, I, and so I was, you know, telling her that. But, yeah, I'm supposed to go to Montego, and she was going to go to Georgia to work with her sister. And she pulled, like, God, she put like, a, like a God or the girl thing on me. Like, you got to choose. Have you ever seen that show, God or the girl? It's like a T- TLC thing. It was really twisted, actually. It was like these dudes in seminary who, like, had girl, girlfriends that they loved back home, and they, they had to decide, like, if they were going to be a priest or, or, anyway. So she was, like, I'm, she was like, I'm going to Georgia. Like, why are you going to Jamaica? And I was like, dang, that's a good question. But, like, I love that about her because, till this day, like, you know, she challenges me. She, like, she would always challenge me. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with her. She was just, like, she was here, you know what I mean? And I was like, man, how do I get there? You know, like, how do I rise to the occasion and prove to her that I'm worthy of her love, you know? And that was one of her things. She was like, I just don't understand. Like, you just, you told me you love me and you want to marry me and all that. And now you're just going to, you're going to bounce for six months and go to Jamaica. Like, what, what is that, right? And so I called the Bishop of Montego Bay and I was like, sorry, Bishop, I got another mission <laughs> to pursue. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm going to Georgia, right? So like, I packed my little Chevy S10 full of all of my worldly possessions, drove back home for a quick graduation party so I could milk my family members for some money, and then, and then drove, up to, drove up to Georgia where I was trying to pursue her, right, and trying to convince her that, that I'm the one for her, right? And um, two, not even two months later, she was like, uh, my sister and I are going to move back to Chicago. And I was like, what? Like, I can't go to, like, I've got no money. Like, I'm trying to get a job out here. I was like, all right, look, we're going to have to do, like, the long distance thing for a little bit, and we'll figure it out. Okay, so this is where it gets crazy. Now I'm going back to Las Vegas. Now, my friends, my history in Las Vegas, I haven't, I haven't lived in Las Vegas for the last four going on five years, and I'm scared. I'm like, this is... This is Mark 2.0, you know, and I don't know how people are going to respond to that. And I'm just like, man, what do I, I don't know. And so I called my buddy Chris, and I was just telling him, and he said to me, I don't know if it was a quote or what it might be, but words I'll never forget. He was like, listen, Mark, I think it is a quote. He said, your life might be the only gospel that your friends ever read. So, all right, Mark, who said that? Anybody know? I don't know either. Look it up. <laughs> So he said to me, all right, listen, Mark, your friends might be the only gospel, or your life might be the only gospel that your friends ever read. So he's like, just be you, man. I was like, oh, 
that's it. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Because I had friends back home here in Las Vegas that I grew up with. They weren't just friends. They were my brothers, man. Like we have, like our parents were best friends. And so we have picture, pictures of, you know, us growing up together in diapers. And we were like this. And I hadn't been around for like four years. And I just was like, man, I need to like rekindle some of that and see where they're at. Like I love those guys. I love my family. And my life might be the only gospel that they ever read. So let's do this, right? Coraggio. And so I'm driving back home. I'm getting closer, like an hour away. And I call one of them up, and I'm like, yo, I'm back. (laughs) And they're like, bro, where you been? Like, four years, man. Like, what's going on? I'm like, yo, I'd love to tell you all about it. Like, what are you guys doing? We're about to go to this bar over here and hang out. When are you going to get here? I was like, I'll be there in like an hour. They're like, cool, pull up. I was like, all right, man, I'll be there. And so... I pull up my truck into the garage of my parents' house, and I take their car and just back it out and go straight to m- meet my friends over at this bar. I get there, and it became immediately <sighs> recognizable to me that this was going to be much harder than I thought, right? So I get there. I get a, we hug. Hey, what's up? What's going on? Let me get a beer. I get a beer, and I'm, I'm hanging out with them, and it just seems like immediately they just start using God's name in vain, which to me, like, okay, I have, I'm, Jesus, Jesus is my savior. He's, he's my Lord. He's my friend. He died for me. I love him. I love him so much. You can't take his name and just drag it through the mud like that, right? Like, they're saying, you know, JC and GD and like, and I'm just like, ah, I don't, I don't know how, what that does for y'all, but like, for me, like, it hurts, right? I'm just like, that's the name of my God, you know what I'm saying? Like the Jewish people, the name that was revealed to Moses, they call the sacred tetragrammaton, which means the unutterable. They won't even say it. They respect that name because there's so much power in it, right? If they're, if they're using the, the reading device when they're reading the scriptures and they get to the name of God, they'll, they'll pull up and skip over it. They won't even touch it. They have so much awe and reverence and respect for that name. And we live in a culture where people take the name of Jesus Christ at which every knee shall bend and every head shall bow and they just spit on it. Use it as foul language, profanity, out of frustration or impatience. And I'm sitting here, I I was in the, you know, I was at Franciscan University for four years hanging out where it was easy and people didn't do that, right? I I compare it to like the womb. Like it's like this, it's this bubble, right? It's like you're being protected, you're in the womb, and you're just being formed and molded. <laughs> but then you got to go out into the world, right? And so now I'm going out into the world and I'm like, hold on. Like, this is crazy, right? And so I'm, I'm hearing this. And it's like every other second, Jesus Christ, like, but not with reverence. And it's just like, oh, man. I'm like, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, do I do like, my life is the only gospel your friends might ever read. Like, do I start evangelizing right now? Like, you're going to hell for that. Stop it. <laughs> you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. I'm not into that. So I was just like, all right, I'm just going to go. Like, so I was just like, yo, I'm tired, guys. I got to go. And I went home that night, and I was just like, ah, I don't, I, I don't know what to do, Lord. Like, I want to love these guys, right? I want to hang out with them. I want them, to ha- I want them to know you. I want them to have a friendship with you um, because you're what they need. You're what the world needs. And I have what they need, and I want to share it with them. They need you. I don't know what to do. And there's this quote that's often um, contributed to St. Francis of Assisi, um, but I've heard it's maybe not actually him. He said, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. You may have heard this one before. Preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. So what speaks louder than words? Actions, right? So I'm like, all right, so that's it. All right, so that, that, that sentiment came into my heart. That inspiration came into my heart. Mark, just like, just... Be you, right? But be you in their presence. And I was like, okay, action. So what can I do? Like, I'm going to hear it, and it's going to hurt. But, like, what can I do when I hear it? I was like, okay, I got it. Every time I hear your name used in vain, Lord, I don't care what I'm doing, where I'm at. I commit to you. I swear to you, to, on this day, I will, I will reverence your name. I will acknowledge that your name has been spoken and has been invoked. There is power in that name, and I will acknowledge the sanctity and the sacredness of that name. I'll just make the sign of the cross right there. And I was like, okay, I got it. I'm sorry, God, if I committed a sin of omission and didn't do anything in their presence, but it won't happen again. Go to confession real quick. And then I called, they called me, right? They're like, yo, the next weekend, we're going to the same bar. Why don't you pull up? And I'm like, all right, let's go. 
And so, like, I pull into the parking lot, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, this is going to be really awkward. Like, are you ready? Like, coraggio, don't be afraid, but this is going to be super weird, right? So I, I committed. I'm going to do it. So I get in there. I grab my beer, and I pull, hold my beer in my left hand. got my right hand locked and loaded because I know it's about to happen, right? I'm just like, okay, it's just so awkward, right? <laughs> and we're hanging there laughing, happens like every other like second though and I'm just sitting here like this all night like <laughs> drinking my beer making the sound so I do it and they're looking at me like what the heck is he doing like what is this guy but they didn't ask so I didn't say anything <laughs> and so all night I'm just like all right so this is what we're doing they're never gonna call me back like okay whatever like I, I, I committed right so I leave that night and I'm like that was so weird I don't know lord is there some other way because maybe that's not it um, but they called me back the next weekend. I'm like, yo, we're going. We're going to go over here. You want to come hang out? I'm like, okay. All right, so we're good, right? Like, got, the, got round one out of the way. So fast forward, long story short, we're hanging out, right? Like, we're rekindling the friendship. And I'm not, like, in their faith. I'm, be, I'm just trying to be me, right? And authentically me. And I'm not trying to be afraid of the love that I have for Christ. In fact, I'm wearing it right there on my sleeve, right? Like, you got to know this about me because this is who I am. And I'm not trying to shove it in your face or drag you by the hair to, to confession or to church. But I'm going to love you where you're at. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to be me where I'm at. And so we're hanging out, right? And, you know, you don't have to change to love God. But God's love does change you in the sense that it makes you more the you that he's created you to be. Right? You're more, you're more yourself. So you're more alive. You're... So my personality wasn't different. I'm still the same dude. I just love, I just love Jesus, right? And so we're hanging out for like a month, right? About a month goes by, and I'm doing this thing like all the time, right? But I, but I recognize like after like a month, they start to apologize for it, right? So they say, they take God's name in vain. I make the sign of the cross, shake it off, right? And they're like, oh, my bad, dude. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we go about our business, right? Like, but they didn't ask, so I didn't say anything. Another month goes by. They're still doing it. I'm still making the sign of the cross. And I notice that now they're starting to, like, catch themselves, like, mid-thrust, right? So they'd use God's name in vain. I make this, or no. So they, they'd be about to use God's name in vain, but they'd be like, geez, man, or like, golly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why I'd still make the sign of the cross. And they'd be like, they still, oh, my bad, dude. I'm like, okay. And we go about our business. So fast forward a little further. I'll never forget it. We're playing like Madden, like, what was it, 07 or something <laughs> at my buddy's house. And I'm killing it. Like, I'm doing really well on the game, right? And if you lose, you have to go. So I'm on for like two hours already. Just nobody's getting me off. And um, I realized, like, I haven't made the sign of the cross for like the past two hours. And I'm like, maybe I'm just zoned in, right? I'm focused on a game, but that would be weird to me because I'm very, like, ultra uber sensitive to it. So I'm like, Yo, let me just give this controller up and see, like, if this is legit, right? And so I toss it. I'm like, y'all can't whip me. And I just throw the controller over and let somebody else get on. And I'm just listening. And they're using all kinds of profanity, right? But they're not saying that, that one thing that just hurt, cut me so deep. And I'm talking about like hours gone by. And I don't, I'm telling you before it was like every other minute, right? And now we're like three, four, five hours into this session and I haven't made the sign of the cross. And I'm sitting there to myself thinking like, yo, like this is crazy. Like, and I'm like celebrating inside. Nobody knows because I'm the only one. They still haven't asked me, right? And um, craziest things happen. My, my buddy's little brother who lived with him kicks in the, so, kicks in the door. God. Jesus, you know what I mean? And he's like using God's name in vain. I'm like, oh, no. And I look over at my friend. He pauses the game, makes a sign of the cross, and then calls his brother out. Yo, don't do that. And I'm just like, oh, did you see that? Anybody? I'm just sitting here like, oh, my gosh. Like, I couldn't believe it. I never said anything. They never asked. I just was there, right? I love you, right? I love you where you're at. And I'm going to be me. I'm going to let you be you. Um, but I'm going to share the light of Christ this way, right? That, that Christ is my friend. And, you know, interesting thing is 
in one of those relationships, almost two of them, definitely not the third guy, still working on him, but (laughs) he did start to ask me, like, yo, man, like, you know, things actually do seem really different for you. You know, you seem happy. You have a lot of peace. There's this joy that's kind of, like, contagious. It's, It's really nice to be in your presence. I can tell that you love me and you care. What is it? Let me tell you. My friends, um, evangelization, to me, is not correction. It's, it's two different things. Okay, you can correct people if you want to uh, when it comes to their, their morality and their way of life. But here's the thing. Like, we, especially in this culture, in, in this day and age, we haven't walked a day in the life of someone else's shoes. You don't know what's gotten them to where they're at with regards to what they believe and to immediately begin the conversation of one and your 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 reasoning may be so authentic and beautiful you want them to have what you have the truth and this friendship and relationship with Christ but if you begin with correcting you know with with intellectualism and morality what you're doing is I believe, I have felt, and I have experienced in, you know, almost 20 years of doing ministry, is you're setting up walls, right? And instead of them, instead of bringing them closer to Christ, which is what you want to do, ultimately you might be creating more obstacles for them to get to him. I'm not saying you can't correct immoral behavior. And if you feel compelled to do so, by all means, start the most effective means of evangelization to me is you start with love. Start with love and then move to the law. You have to help them to see beauty first. And when you help them to see beauty first and joy first, then it will be easy for them internally to want to pursue truth and goodness and morality and ultimately Christ. Christ is what we all want, whether we know it or not. I do thoroughly believe that, but you can't necessarily just start with that. We have to have the patience and the kindness and the presence to take the journey with people. Here's the thing. People, if you start with just correction and you know intellectualism and scripture and explaining the faith and giving the reasons and so on and so forth, people aren't really always going to remember. People won't always remember what you say but they will never forget how you make them feel. I promise you this, right? 20 years doing ministry in the classroom, experience with students. I've had some, I've had some massive failures where I, made, I mistakenly made students of mine feel as if they were less. Not on purpose, but feel as if I didn't care or I didn't love them or I didn't respect them right where they were. But I've also had Massive successes. I can tell you this, in, in 15 years in the education system, 13 years at Bishop Gorman High School, I never once had to write a student up. I never once sent a student to the dean's office. And that's not because I'm like this awesome teacher. I think that's because I, from day one, tried to just make sure those students and those people who were sitting in front of me on a day-to-day basis knew that I loved them that I respected them, that I cared for them, that they weren't just a bunch of bodies in a seat or a means to an end or a way for me to get a paycheck, but that they were my brothers and sisters in Christ and that I genuinely respected them no matter what their walk of life was, right where they were. And I think that that's what people need to know, right? Because they won't always remember what you say, but they will never forget how you make them feel. In sum, to bring people closer to Christ, be close to Christ, right? That's really all you need to do. It's hard to give what you do not have. If you want to share friendship with Christ with others, you have to be a friend of Christ. And I know that we're all in this room trying to do that, and please pray for me after having had the opportunity to tell you that, that I'll also have the courage in my life to do it myself. Um, I recently quit my job at Bishop Gorman High School. I was there for 13 years for the last three as director of campus ministry, 10 before that, teaching theology. I was a youth minister at Our Lady of Las Vegas and at St. Anthony of Padua when it first opened. 
Um, and one of the reasons that I left that job in pursuit of what I'm doing now is I started to feel this sense of being not just burnt out, but like being too occupied um, with the work of God that I was leaving the God of works, right? That like I wasn't, I just felt this in prayer one day, God say to me very loud and clear, Mark, I really care more about your closeness to me than I do about your want to bring other people closer to me. And I felt like, God, I'm, I'm, leaving the, I'm, I'm neglecting the God of works for the work of God. I'm so busy doing your work, God. I don't have time for this, that, or the other. And you know if you're in ministry, if you're not making time for prayer, if you're not making time to refresh your soul and your, and your relationship with Christ, then things start to fall apart. And I felt like I was probably getting to that place where it's like, man, I need to refocus, right? And I had some other opportunities to pursue, and I left with handshakes and hugs. There was no bad blood or animosity. Things are great. Um, but I now feel closer to Christ than I have felt in a very long time, and I'm in, like, the business world. <laughs> and that's interesting, isn't it? So be close to Christ is the best way to share your love of Christ with others, your friendship with Christ. Um, a couple things. These are real simple. I wanted to give you some practical applications, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but like that's one of the things that I'll go back to those four guys who really evangelized me and gave me a relationship with Christ. They didn't cuss. They didn't gossip. They didn't complain, right? They, they had joy. They weren't using foul language in my presence. They were choosing more creative ways to express their frustrations than the, the, the basis form of our eloquent language. Um, they didn't participate in, like, trash-talking other people, right? Like, they didn't participate in gossip. And I know that's a real struggle. It is for me, too, because we all want to get into it, right, about certain people. But instead, if they heard somebody say something about someone that wasn't good, they, like, try to highlight the good qualities about that person and then point the conversation on themselves. Like, I struggle with that, too, by the way. And, like, that was just, that was different. You know, I hadn't had that experience. And they didn't, they weren't always complaining about stuff. They had this pervasive joy. So exude joy. Your piety, my friends, as beautiful as it is, it cannot lack charity. Your actions speak louder than your words. And people, never forget this, will not always remember what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. I love you. Praying for you. Please pray for me. That, again, awesome opportunity to tell you but that I would also have the courage to live it in my own life. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Hector. Oh, wow. Very cool. Um, Let's give it up one more time for Mark Sayer and uh, just everything he shared. Everything he shared. His journey. Practicals on how do we evangelize. And then for Nikayla for leading us in some worship time. Shout out to Nikayla. Clap. Woo. <clears throat> I want to I share something that was burning on my heart while Mark was speaking. Something about Mark speaking just gets me so fired up. So um, if you want to talk to your neighbor while I talk, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm going to do it in about a minute and a half. Are you ready? Um, what would it have looked like if Peter chose to stay awake and pray instead of falling asleep? What would it look like if instead of following Jesus from afar off, like scripture says, if he followed closely? What would it look like if at the campfire he was with the apostles instead of people he didn't even know? What if, what if instead of um, them asking him, I know who you are. I've seen where you've been. You were the one that was praying at Coffee and Creed. You were walking with Jesus the Nazarene. What if instead of that, when he said no, he was saying, I know Jesus. I love him. Well, he made a sign of the cross every time one of the people swore. That's for you, Mark. What if instead of turning his face away from Jesus when Jesus was led out, he turned his face towards Jesus? What if we did that? What if instead of sleeping, we chose to wake and pray? What if instead of being on Instagram, being on social media, being on uh, the TikTok, all those cool things that, you know, hip young people love so much, what if we took time? to pray? What if we sought holy friends that chose to build us up instead of people that chose to tear us down? 
This is the challenge that I believe Mark has left us with tonight. Um, your faith is yours. You, you got to do with it what you want. And the fact that some of you drove out here on a crazy Thursday night when who's got work tomorrow? Whoop, whoop. Yeah, most of us. Um, you chose to be here. You chose to be here tonight to form yourself, to be with other people, to network, maybe get a date one night. That's awesome. Good for you. Reality of it is, if you don't do anything except this, then it's not enough. It's not enough. So make your faith your own. You know, live it, pray it, etc., etc., etc. I need to give a huge shout out to my brother, David Hall, who's laughing over here. Um, <laughs> David, stop, please. Honest to God, where would we be without David? Seriously, especially for these nights. Uh, these are his speakers. These are his microphones. These are his recording equipment. Among wolves. Whoop, whoop. Hello, fold. <laughs> Oh, my name is G.V. Hall. Um, I am the wife of Mr. Hall, um, the co-person. I'm running out of words for Among Wolves. Thanks for letting me crash your podcast. Um, Coughing Creed, round two, was tonight. It was really good. Um, I really enjoyed hearing from Mark Sayer and his perspective on evangelization. I loved all, like, his story. I love the whole thing, just the way that he shares his stories. He was very personable. It was lively. It was entertaining. And at the same time, um, just a really good witness to his faith. I love the practical, practical aspects that he also brought in. I thought that was great that he, you know, here are some tangible things that you could walk away from and start doing in your own life. And what I truly loved the most was how the biggest message that he had was live the gospel, you know, through your actions. I thought that was the biggest takeaway for me. Um, and then just to close the night in worship too, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. I like the, the, speaking of the practical aspect, I really liked his, um, doing the sign of the cross when people say the, the, uh, the Lord's name in vain or something. I was like, that's simple and that's brilliant. And that's definitely inspired. So I thought that was a, that was a great little tool for, for everybody to use in any kind of situation. Um, yeah, that was cool. I've heard that before. I think it was in Clerically Speaking, another podcast, and they said to do that because it like catches people's eyes, like what his friends ended up doing. So yeah, thought that was really cool. I'm like, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've never heard of that before, but it's so simple to do. Yeah, know? but hard at the same time, considering the context right, because of there's, what he was doing. Right, exactly. There's that, that's a very visible sign. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of those things that you're like. Oh yeah, people are going to notice that, and people are going to know exactly why you're doing that. And so, the the nervousness is is like, is it just going to make you look pretentious, or is it is it actually going to be effective? Um, and that's yeah, it's one of those those struggle things that you just do it. Yeah, yeah. Clerically speaking, talked about that. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a while back though. I think it was a couple of years ago. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's your big takeaway? My big takeaway, I think it oh, was... Oh, yeah, so who are you? Oh, I'm Elisa Murrow. Um, I am one of the volunteers that helps David and one of his adult children that he has adopted <laughs> recently. <laughs> and um, I pick up straight. <laughs> and um, I think my biggest takeaway was also just the biggest way you're probably going to show Jesus to others is just you being you and just evangelizing in that way. Because I think recently um, in like being in my research lab and everything, I think that's the biggest way that I've shown it is just being open to being like, oh, I'm Catholic, but I don't try to do, like, the most. I just exist, basically. And then same with, like, other groups of friends that, like, they have, like, a bad, like, history with the church, and I'm just like, I'm just here to help you and support you. Mm -hmm. And it was also, it reminded me of a conversation I had with my best friend when they were in town, and their roommate, um, they were talking how his the term religious came up and um it was interesting because she's like oh you're religious too i'm like yeah but she's religiously jewish and i think it was a part of like just having the negative connotation of once you're religious people think you're like an extremist that hates everyone but that's obviously not the case Mm -hmm. because like for us it's like we're able to still have a conversation and genuinely love every person we interact with but it's so hard because now, as a society, we just see it so negatively to right. just evangelize in such a simple way and be religious and practicing. Right. 
Right. That's uh, that was one of the things that I really liked about his talk too. And as a youth minister, like I, I, I super related to it because that's what you have to be able to do as a youth yeah. minister. Like you have to be able to walk with a person, love them and not judge every single thing. Like I, I was always taught there are three, three big rules uh, for youth ministry, right? Is, is one, see everything. <laughs> and then two, comment on a little and then three, forgive a lot. You know, and that was that was the thing, and that's that's the thing in youth ministry is like you're walking with them, and and I think that in his language at the very beginning of his talk is like is the instruction or the um, correction can push people away, and that's not the that's not the goal. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's not a place for instruction or correction, and and I earn those places in my teens' lives, and, and not every teen I do I get to earn that place, you know. Um, but that's that's it. It's I can't remember who originally said it, but somebody has once had said that like you can only evangelize somebody as far as you're willing to walk with them, yeah. right? That's like nobody's going to make conversions on Twitter. It's just you know it's, your your little Twitter arguments are not going to yeah. win any hearts. You know that's because that's not what that venue is for. You know, and that's that's one thing that I really took away from this one. Anyway, there we go. Give Lisa the microphone. <laughs> All hail Mrs. Whitney. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, Neil's not here tonight. <laughs> it's lady he night. won and got to stay home with the kids, or I won and got to go out. <laughs> um, no, I thought his talk was good. Um, I did like his whole, like you guys were seeing the, um, like showing people, not just like quoting like the verses. Right. And, like, the correcting. And, like, you were saying with the uh, youth ministry, like, teaching confirmation, I felt like, like, when Neil and I would teach it, we were ourselves. We weren't like, oh, you have to do all of these things, or we have this, like, perfect past or background. Like, we're people. We're just trying to show you. That's one you thing Neil and I have talked about on the show, like, many like, times. It's like... Yeah. Whenever people put on the mask of like, oh, this is my Christian voice and this is yes, my Christian persona, like I that hurts the church so much because we are not perfect right now. Like, I don't know, most people, I can't think of anybody who's like perfectly sinless right now. Like, if they can say that, man, more power to you. And then maybe that's not a persona and you are perfect. But, <laughs> but for a lot of us, like that's, that's like the Christian mask that we feel like we can't screw up because then we don't seem like we're authentically christian like our orthodoxy is suddenly going to be in question because we are living and screwing up and doing our best right Right. and that's 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 a problem we got to be able to be ourselves and that's how we're going to win souls because everybody knows that's a fake christian you know that's a fake you're, you're putting on a persona right now that that's not real who you're who you're trying to be so i don't want to be that I just want to live my life, right? right? And that's that's the that's yeah. my whole problem. That's why why I struggle with finding catechists because I'm like <laughs> I'm like you can't put on a persona. You got to no, be you. you that's that's why I love yourself. small group leaders. Small group leaders it, can they be them. Last, you yeah. know, because it's exhausting to be it someone is. else that you're really not. Yeah. And the kids don't always. They may not relate to. They know you're fake or you're you know have that mask on. They're not. People aren't going to necessarily relate. Want to know? Oh, I have that in common with that person. Follow Among Wolves on Instagram and Facebook? Question mark. Technically, they're connected, but I okay. never post anything. On okay, Facebook, mainly so. do Instagram then, y'all. He'll, yeah. he'll reply to you. I hate Facebook so much. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I, so, I I got off of there a long time ago. The the, the uh, pro my profile's still there, but I haven't used it. I and, use it for like. Two seconds to check things, and then I'm like, then "Okay, it. I'm good." It's more of I don't even check only. things. Yeah. I don't even view only. The last time I got on there was I was, was my, my wife had told me I need to change my profile picture to a candle. <laughs> I'm like, "But I don't even use it." Like, but my, but my mom's gonna see it, so you gotta change <laughs> it. You need to get on this in solidarity of this family. You need to change it <laughs> so to you a candle. Get off. So she will ask. So it's literally still a candle. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still in mourning. I'm yeah. like, don't you still love my Lola? <laughs> Yeah, it was like my profile pictures. Like I had green hair. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that era's gone. But the era's gone. <laughs> oh, the one thing. So 
I, I did have another thought because when Mark was presented, like he moved back to Vegas, right? That was part of his story. And he knew that he was going to reunite with his friends and that was going to be difficult. I love that. He was like, okay, let's do this. Like I can relate to that so much when I have to do a hard thing. I'm always like, okay. Like I always have to find myself stepping back and being like, okay, like really checking myself as far as like intentions and goals and, and what do I want? And then just, you know, I'm like, Ugh. The next thing that I'm going to do is really going to suck right now. Like, just let's just go do it together. You know, I just, I love that each time. I love, what did he say about his right hand? That was the best part. It was, was locked like, and loaded. Yeah, <laughs> his right hand was locked and loaded so he could get ready to do the side of the cross. I feel like as a Catholic Christian, like, that's our stance, right, too. But to live that witness out loud with our faith without, I love that he said it, without dragging, uh, you know, somebody through yeah. or pulling their hair, I think just, being your authentic self is going to be the best witness. Yep, absolutely. I think for me, I was thinking recently because one of my friends I've gotten close to in lab, she's Muslim, and just being able to have those genuine conversations with one another, like interreligion-wise, yeah. is so interesting because I've grown a lot more in my faith just being able to discuss, like, here are the similarities, here are the differences, and being like, oh, like, this makes so much sense. Like, we're similar, but obviously there's differences. And I thought so, another takeaway was... Um, Mark was a religion teacher when I was at Garmin, but I never got to have a class with him because I took him. I took summer school. I hate that so much. I'm glad it's gone. I'm so glad it's gone. Yeah, well, I'm here now, so that was a small percentage that yeah. it didn't kick out. But then um, it was really interesting just seeing him talk and how like he is very um, lively and he's very captivating. Yeah, because I know sometimes he's easy to listen to. Yeah. Some public speaking can be like, oh, this is great, but you could have done this. And that definitely wasn't the case. So, yeah. That's great. Cool. All right. So, uh, catch us on Instagram. You can slide in my DMs anytime. Yeah, that's how we roll here. Respectfully. Uh, respectfully. <laughs> Make sure you do the sign of the cross before you slide in. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> And then, uh, uh, yeah, so um, the, the big thing about Among Wolves is we are consistent at being inconsistent. So this is uh, coming out a few weeks late, uh, but here we are. And we've got new stuff for you uh, coming up. Um, I'm giving a talk on Sunday that I'll record and probably put out as a bonus for everybody. And then we got the Diocesan Conference coming up. And well, come check out the Diocesan Conference. Yeah, we're going to have a table there. We'll do interviews again. That was super fun. And then... Um, yeah, and then Neil and I will get together and we'll record something soon. Because I need Neil. I miss him. Neil, this is for you. You just keep listening. You're the only one I want to record with, Neil. Only you. I only have eyes for you. That's it. This is not right. <laughs> <laughs>